What's up guys, welcome back to another episode of Rebranding Safety Podcast on YouTube. This week, Stephen's back talking all about manual handling. Let's get right into this. Let's get, what am I on about? Let's get into the podcast. Health and safety is almost a victim of its own success. We are in a pressured regime of health and safety regulations. A huge fire engulfs a tower block in Children being forced to wear goggles to play conkers at school. Worst oil field disaster, 164 dead. Rebranding Safety, the modern health and safety podcast, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Riss Bluen and your host, James McPherson. I suppose, no, let's just get straight into it. I suppose, like, welcome back to the podcast, Stevie. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. I obviously didn't embarrass myself too much last time. Well, so. we wouldn't have had you back if you did. I <laughs> know. <laughs> but shame upon the podcast. Yeah. Don't, get, don't let that call me go back in. I've got lots of treats <laughs> from everyone from Ketcher and being like, I've, I've unsubscribed now you've let someone from Colby on the board. They're a very bitter person. So. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been keeping up with the podcast? I have, mate. Yeah, I think I've listened yeah. to them all. Um, I've liked the... I've got a series of questions to test you on. So oh, man. Podcasts are too... <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> what did you say? Sorry. You said... Yeah, the, uh, having the experts on the last... Is it two of them you've done? The, two so far, yeah. Yeah, the Slip um, expert. That was a very interesting one. I didn't think Slips... There could be so much to Slips. Basically. I know, right? But, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, last week's mental health one was very interesting as well. Though, um, yeah. That's something that's sort of right in the public consciousness at the minute. So, yeah, it was a really interesting uh, sure. podcast to listen to. Yeah, I've got a few more lined up that I'm really excited about. But, um, yeah, the, the Christian, the SIP guy, kind of approached me um, about coming on. And then, um, obviously, I always had kind of interviews in the, in my mind. Yeah. That would be nice to happen. But Christian just kind of added me on LinkedIn, said he was interested you know, on coming on and obviously at the end kind of plugging his business, which I'm happy to do. Yeah. And, and I was like, so what do you do then? And he was like, yeah, I, I kind of manage slip safety. And I was like, well, how long is a podcast going to be? Like, <laughs> and I said, Let, let's just have a phone call about it. And I'll tell you what, in the phone call, I, I could have listened to him for hours. Yeah. Like, I, I, someone that really knows their stuff about like one subject so much. Yeah. And I could, and I just thought, wow, like this is just so interested there's so much stuff in there so you just yeah, wonder, yeah. you just think water on floor is slippy water not on floor <laughs> is not slippy but here nah. is just like he gets into it like that pendulum test that he talks about it's awesome and he, yeah, i think he articulates yeah. it quite well as well yeah definitely it came across it came across well it wasn't like uh like oh slips i deal with them all day at work i was like there's so much more to think about yeah, yeah, and I suppose actually for your industry, I suppose it's quite a big thing in food and stuff like that, I yeah. suppose. Yeah, we've got yeah. sort of, I think we mentioned it on the last podcast, we try and keep areas as sterile as possible, so having sort of anti-slip mats and things like that don't always, aren't necessarily the best option for us. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's definitely given us a lot more to think about for um, sort of getting rid of those key areas of um, where the slips keep happening and things like that. Yeah, you'll have to find him on LinkedIn. I've chat. already added him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Absolutely LinkedIn creep. I saw him. <laughs> so, I suppose we're going to talk about manual handling today, then. 
TV. Aye. Is that is that like a big thing in your in your industry? Did you have like big packs of, of ingredients and stuff? They, well, yes and no. So classic manual handling where someone's picking up a box and moving it around. Yeah. Not as much. Um, we've still got the odd bit in the packing room where they're sort of packing into the uh, boxes that are going out to customers and then stacking a pallet. Um, but we've got people moving totes around, um, which would fall under manual handling as well. Mm. Um, so for the ingredients, um, mixes, things like that. Um, so yeah, I think every business has some element of manual handling, doesn't it? I think it covers a lot more um, than just the classic pick this box up move from point A to point B put the mm-hmm. box down somewhere mm-hmm. so um, so yes yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a much bigger um, area than the classic manual handling training that you'll get in an office will lead you to believe mm-hmm. yeah I think we'll come on to training and, and oh, definitely yeah. uh, stick up my ass when it comes to manual and I was kind of just Double, I knew I knew there was some kind of big numbers around like musk I can never say it musculoskeletal disorders. Yeah, yeah. Never say MSDs. That. Yeah, that'll do. <laughs> say that. MSDs. Um, I knew the numbers were big, but you know, every time I kind of Google all these the datas and stuff like to kind of make sure that we're on the right kind of you know saying the right stuff on the podcast yeah my mind you got like 469,000 workers suffering from work-related msds new and long-standing in in what was that year 17 17 yeah, last year. yeah. just no it's again it's just big numbers that we like spoke about last time it's just hard to sort of wrap your head around how many people is that mm. um and then the other, the other stat that we, we see on there is the 6.6 million lost days. Yeah. Like, yeah. Again, like that's literally probably a million times more days than you'd actually end up working mm-hmm. um, personally throughout your whole career, isn't it? For your yeah, sort of point. 40, 50 year career. Yeah. Like how many more times is that? And again, it's hard to wrap your head around numbers that big. So it's obviously sort of needs to be looked at because you don't want to be part of them statistics at all. It, it, it's difficult. I, know, I suppose we will come on to it, but to kind of jump the gun, it's like, it's, it's, it's not like, you, when you're you're kind of, you're not trying to change the culture of your workplace with manual handling, I find you, well, to be honest, with help most health and safety, you're trying to change the culture of a nation. Um, yeah. yeah. We all kind of take it quite, um, come with complacency, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I think there's certain areas that, because they either happen very often, um, mm. you can become complacent because it's just second nature. Uh, mm. But then other times it can be if it doesn't happen as often as well. So things like um, if you don't do a lot of work at height, I think people can then get a bit complacent about using a set of steps, Yeah. Um, for example. But I think with manual handling, I think it's the complacency is people don't understand everything that goes into it. Like you said, it's not just picking up a box. It's pushing, pulling, anything that you're doing physically um, and moving anything physically would fall under manual handling. Mm. Um, and that's what I'm starting to try and get across um, with our sort of, we've, uh, we've done uh, the training recently, risk like we've done the risk assessment and we sort of issuing out training. Um, and it's, yeah, just getting people to think about the wider picture. It's not just 
box is. It's everything that you do could, that you left could potentially cause you some sort of MSD. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I was interested on the stats as well, like the kind of, there's not much difference really between males and females. It seems to be, um, yeah, you know, quite equal. Yeah. Um, lack of a better phrase, males kind of tipping the edge. But I suppose if you look at that, probably more males in the, in the work environment that are doing those heavy. But then is there, I mean, in kind of warehouses and stuff like that, I, see, I, I always have found that as quite an equal balance now. It's yeah. getting better, but... Yeah, I think the, yeah, I think the bit that's probably tipping it over the edge is, like, say, logistics is, or is like, say, is quite sort of evenly matched uh, spread between men and women. Um, probably more on the sort of the packing lines and things like that. It's probably he- heavier leaning towards the sort of female side of things, and then yeah. you get the sort of farming. Um, was it, what other industries are in the sort of construction? You're probably getting the more sort of. Um, Male led, isn't it? Male dominated industries, but um, but yeah, it's interesting to see that the split is quite even. Mm. Um, but and it is those sort of all those physical industries still that where all these injuries are coming from, it's not sort of getting through to these, um, sort of the people running things there that they have the problem because they have the hazard there, if that Mm. makes sense, yeah, yeah. I think it's got to be like hitting them young as well. So like on the stats, it was like the 16 to 34 year olds had the lowest kind of impact of, of the amount of reported inju- injuries on the HSE stats. But, you know, as you, obviously as you're getting older, you're getting weaker, you, you know, essentially dying a slow death as we all are. They're kind of <laughs> cheer us all up on a Sunday. Say, it's a very cheery Easter Sunday. Yeah, happy, happy Easter. Happy um, Easter. Yeah, you know, it... it I found it, it's, it's about hitting it at 16 years old. Do you know what I mean? Like, essentially, we're doing the jobs that the parents never did, teaching your child how to how to live. Yeah. You know, or, or, or to be honest, some would argue we, we taught them how not to live. Because I don't know if you've ever seen Child's Play. We'll, we'll, we'll be touching on yeah, that. Yeah, I've seen that. It's an absolute classic in safety circles, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is strange how... Well, I see it with my little boy. He's three, and he he that's exactly how he lifts. He lifts... How um, it shows, yeah. How you're supposed to, how it's shown in the child's play video, um, what every bit of first um, manual handling training shows you how to lift. That's how he lifts everything up. Yeah. No matter if it's um, sort of one toy, or he's trying to lift up the doorstop again, or the pack of washing powder, um, he'll do the exact same lift. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting that, like, you say we learn the wrong way, or we have the the habit sort of knocked out of us somehow and I'm not sure where that would happen along the way I've ne- I don't ever remember my mum and dad sitting me down and saying son we need to teach you how to lift something differently you know what <laughs> I mean it's, uh, it's a really odd sort of what, what we do to ourselves and um, like I say it's the older generation that seem to have to suffer um, or as the sort of age groups progress the sort of instances increase like that could be due to, like, say, people's bodies starting to fail them. Um, but it's probably yeah. that, that that collective years and years of doing it the wrong way. Yeah, finally catching up with people, isn't it? As well, so yeah. so many factors again. It's like the the slips podcast. There's just so many things that go into it that um, it's just again safety is massive. <laughs> I 
I, as much as I bang on about it, I think it comes all, all the way. It comes down to like culture, uh, and and when and culture is banded around a lot, and it really pisses me off. A lot of people don't really understand it, but like, what what you kind of touch on there is, you know, no nobody has ever taken, you know, they never right come in this TV. We're going to teach you how to lift incorrectly because yeah. we don't want you to look like a twat when you go out <laughs> into the normal world. So that that never happens. But I think you know. Uh, Behavior is molded by the environment that you're in. So, so I always used to use it as this example in like forklift driving. So, who is always the slowest forklift driver? It's the person that drives how he's trained to drive, and it would yeah. be the same for manual handling. You know, who would be the slowest person to to lift and move stuff? In theory, if we were to do it as the shite training that we currently have around manual handling told you how to do it. Um, it would be the person that does it correctly because everybody else does it because they're lazy. It's easier just to bend and pick it up. So I think one is kind of the environment. You know, once you and it, it becomes infectious. So me and you will start lifting tomorrow really well. And then the next person that sees her, your kid will see you lifting correctly and never change. And it would just be like, oh, okay, that's how I live. And then maybe when he goes out to another environment and sees someone lifting another way, you know, that's the point where we 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 as parents or or trainers or whatever will jump on it and say, no, no, you've got to lift like this. And I think it's at that point, it's about education. Why do you want to lift like this? And, and then explaining everything, you know. Yeah. But I suppose, yeah, I, I'm trying to keep us on track so we don't jump to the end, but it, it all comes down to that kind of culture and training, which is yeah. kind of yeah. at the end of the end of the, 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 the bit. But I suppose my when I started doing the training, I, my, I found, get my words out, I always found the biggest impact was when I, I used to ask the room and like who who here has kids, and you know a majority of people would say yeah yeah I've got kids. I want to say you know what do you do with your kid? Do you you know play football, pick them up, throw them around, do whatever. Yeah yeah all of that you know have some fun. I said well most people that have a serious bad back can't do any of that stuff. And massively affect your life you know. Yeah. The point of coming home from say a long weekend away with work or whatever. Come home, your kid runs up to you and you can't pick them up because you've got bad back. To me, that would be probably the biggest impact of that. Oh, yeah. and that, that just kind of affects everything else and it exacerbates and gets worse and worse. That's it, especially sort of what my, let's say my wee one's three and he's heavy. Um, he's a well-built little lad. Um, and like he, the amount of times he'll just run over and like grab you or want, like say you want picking up and throwing around. And he loves all that sort of stuff. He loves that sort of um, sort of physical play, climbing all over you, sort of jumping on your back. He would like pin you down uh, and just like jump up and down on you and that sort of thing. I can sort. I'm relatively healthy, not particularly fit, but um, I'm sort of able to do that with him. And I, I love doing like having that sort of um, time to play with him. And yeah, if I couldn't do that, I'd hate it. He like wouldn't be as happy. So yeah, it's a massive sort of impact these sort of um, MSDs can have on your life. But like you say, you probably don't think about it. It's like, oh, I can't lift as heavy at work. I'll get put on lighter duties. No, it's sort of like all safety. It comes outside of work as well. Mm -hmm. and, and it hurts. It, it just hurts. I mean, I, yeah. I, for a long time, I've, had, I've never really had a really bad back, but I have like a, a, a weak back, if that makes sense. So I have good bad weeks. Like and sometimes it'll just, I'll get a twang. And then yeah. I'll be, fine. and then I'll get a twang. Then I'll be fine. And then some days it just aches, and I feel uncomfortable. I remember going Wimbledon a few years ago, and I drove there like three in the morning to get in the front of the queue. 
I, I think we still didn't get into like five o'clock or whatever, but we, we finally got in. It rained all pissing day. Um, <laughs> and and we were pretty much standing or sitting all day. And I remember my back was so painful, like all day. And it just kind of put a down, in addition to the rain, it put like a real down on the day. Um, this sounds like that day couldn't have got much worse. No, not really. I mean, when we, <laughs> we got in and it was really sunny. It was like gorgeous. The whole time yeah. we were queuing, it was gorgeous. Like, it was like today, like just absolute blue sky, sun out, lovely weather. Whole time we were queuing, literally got into Wimbledon, sat down, watched like one tennis ball go, and then it went, <laughs> and just rained the whole time. <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> and then it just rained all day and I remember yeah. when it got to the point where everyone was saying oh, if it rains for more than whatever many hours you get your money back and then it literally we were like five minutes away from getting our money back and it stopped raining and they literally like ran out like pulled all the covers off were like testing the ground to get the players out to get some tennis going so they didn't have to give their money back it was like what the fuck anyway Oh, I wouldn't be happy. <laughs> no, I wasn't. Then I had like another hour, two hour drive home. Yeah. I just find like, I suppose, I suppose it's worth touching on, on the law side of things. I don't, have, you, have you ever looked really much into Amazon Web? They're, they're, they're pretty short, aren't they? There's only a few sort of key bits that are... Um... I think you really need to sort of do, and that's what they avoid. Assess if you can't avoid it. Um, putting your control measures off your risk, risk assessment. And then I think one of the key bits I think that are missed out on with the manual handling regs is letting people know about the weights and the weight distribution if it's sort of uneven. Yeah, yeah. I think, they're, I think they're the sort of the, um, again, all safe, <laughs> all these sort of parts, bits of legislation, the sort of more specific ones are assess the risk implement control measures then there's always those sort of key bits as well so with noise it's like the uh, decibel or the working safe working limits and with manual handling there i think they're the key bits in there that sort of that's tell people important. to wait yeah and that's because really there's no point yeah there's no point knowing how to pick up a box um perfectly well and then you get to the box you don't know what it weighs it weighs sort of 50 kilos and then you put your back out because you've not sort of approached it right or not had the right information given to you. Um, yeah, duties of employers, um, yeah, weight of each load and then the heavier side of any load. This well, sort of a bait, the heavier side of any load whose centre of gravity is not positioned centrally. Yeah, so it's probably, I think in, is it, there'll be some sort of labelling regulations for goods as well that it'll probably get uh, brought up on. But, um, yeah, I think that that's one of the hardest things to do in a sort of manufacturing environment is say, oh, this weighs this. Um, this trolley full of sort of prepared product weighs this amount. It's hard to do. Um, if Because we like put product on trays and then the trays are transported. So that's yeah. sort of quite difficult to sort of work out um, the limits and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's not, it's like I say, it's a short bit of legislation, but... It, there is some sort of complicated bits to it just because like you say it covers so many areas mm. um and you've probably got within a sort of manufacturing environment dozens of different manual handling tasks that are done um 
from just sort of uh, moving product around from one room to another, um, to sort of moving uh, prepared product and sort of then produce packing. Everything is sort of manual handling, isn't it? Using pump trucks, um, what the engineers yeah. are doing, lifting Pushing their sort of, yeah, pushing their trolleys around. It's just so many different areas that need to be taken into account. To, um, they can, like, say, affect people and give these sort of musculoskeletal disorders um, and issues. They can have such a massive impact on people's lives. Yeah, yeah. There's a really, there's really good, um, there's really good um, kind of diagrams. I suppose is the best word out on Google about like each kind of disc and like most people don't really well in my experience most people don't really understand the impact of it but like obviously your nerves kind of go all the way down with your spine um and they're all like kind of interconnected so like you know one disc can damage the nerve which then affects your stomach or the next one you know whether you whether you can shit in, in the morning or at night or whether, <laughs> whether your eyes work or whether your ears work or your nose your lips like it's just when you look at it, it's unbelievable how much can actually be affected um, by bad manual handling. And that's it, because it's, like you say, what, we've got 20-something odd um, discs, mm -hmm. is it? Um, so what's that, 20 potentially different ways of lifting because of the way that your spine moves. So you could, like say, injure any part of your back, neck um, that will have, like say, a massive impact on your, on your future. 26 parts of your back. 26, so there you go. There you go, I just counted it. <laughs> Good skills. But yeah, yeah, it's madness, isn't it? The, the, um... It's just, it's nuts, mate. It's absolutely nuts. Uh, that, I remember get, getting that image the first time I put together some manual handling training and it was just mind-blowing. And, and yeah. you, know, you know, really like, even your blood supply can be affected, excuse me, affected by your nerves, which can be damaged by your spine, it was just, it's just mind though. Yeah, it's, um... To kind of tie it off on the rigs, I suppose, it's a really good point you say about like, the labeling and, and stuff like that. If you're, if from a manufacturer's point of view, like have knowing to put that on there. But if you're, if you're just like, you're not a manufacturer, maybe you're a distributor or you're just a customer lifting something, um, the, the kind of easy, easiest way to look at it, I think all of the health and safety regulations are all repetitive. They're all avoid, assess, and reduce. Yeah. And that's yeah. pretty much the golden thread throughout all of them. And that's why it blows my mind when I get emails on a daily, monthly, yearly, annual basis saying, what does the regs say? Yeah. Regs say the same as they said last <laughs> year and the same as the last piece of reg says. And the reg yeah. before that that says, avoid it, assess it, and reduce it. And if you've got something, maintain it. There's probably the only four things that it says but it says it over, instead of just saying it in layman's terms like I do, it says it over 20 million words. I mean, you must have heard yeah. some comments of me trying to read out legal jargon. Right. Yeah, trying to work, like get your head around some of the um, legislation is ridiculous. Mm. Especially like the Health and Safety at Work Act, uh, probably the management regs. It's just like... Who wrote this and why did they decide to write like this? It's, it's just crazy. Next week's podcast is on civil law and, right. um, and kind of reading some of the quotes from precedents and case studies from civil law. You're just like, are these people born this snobby? Like, like, I think what? that's it, isn't it? It's, um, it's been done historically to sort of 
keep people downtrodden potentially and uh, <laughs> not necessarily understand what they can and can't do. So they're just like, if, oh, I can't read this law. So if this man tells me this is what it says, then oh, I'll just do that. Yeah, it's got to oh, be. That's what I'm doing. It. <laughs> it's the man again, is it? It's the man yeah, trying to get the man you down. Is keeping everyone down, oh. making them assess risk. <laughs> you're you're in control of your own destiny, Stevie. And once you yeah. realise, you'll, you'll probably start that punk, that podcast that you've been meaning. I know. I know. One day. How, how have you found like manual handling risk assessments? Do you, do you use like the Mac tool? I I was I haven't used the Mac tool ever. I was looking through it on the. Um, HSE website um, I think it's there's a lot of information there it's a good tool if you're not experienced with doing risk assessments or um, if you're not experienced doing manual handling risk assessments as well potentially um, just because there's a step-by-step guide to what you need to look at for a task but then like I said if you've got dozens of tasks that they're, they're not short assessments are they there's a lot of information there that I wouldn't put in a risk assessment because it's not relevant. Whereas there, they're sort of saying, not relevant, no, not relevant, not and like answering the question. Whereas I wouldn't even put the question into my risk assessment because it's not significant for the findings. Yeah. Does that make sense? Um, but I think if you're, like, say, if you're a small business and you don't have someone on site doing your safety full time and you're sort of the uh, ops director or ops manager and looking after safety as part of it you could do a sort of decent assessment and build a sort of decent enough risk assessment of, of your task using them tools. Mm. Um, but yeah, because I've done sort of numerous manual handling assessments over the years, um, I sort of know what I'm looking at going into it and we'll make notes on what the findings are of it. Is that relevant? No, I'm not going to put that in my assessment. You put stuff in there that's relevant. Um, yeah. And then, like, um, like you said, um, when you sent the email over of what we're talking about today, it doesn't cover all manual handling anyway. So mm. you're going to need to do a second assessment on top of that as well. So I think that's sort of the sometimes when people get turned off when they see all the paperwork that goes with a risk assessment mm. can sort of come from that sort of that sort of tool. So um, I like to keep things short, sweet, and relevant. Um, especially risk assessments. So I think mm. having that sort of tool in place wouldn't be of use to me. Mm. Um, but I can see sort of where it can be used. I think you should successful. maybe do it, maybe do it like a tiered approach. Like you say, you would have, it, 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 I always did it in manufacturing where we had quite a lot of manual handling. I would do kind of that tiered approach and you would have a task basic risk assessment for that particular product or machine or whatever. Um, and then within that, if there was one part of that job that was kind of quite heavy or repetitive or continuous manual handling, um, then for me, like, like, like you said, you know, in the HSE guidance, it says that the Mac tool is not a suitable or sufficient risk assessment. It's a, it's a tool and that, yeah. that's all it is. So for me, I always use the Mac tool in a kind of tiered approach. You would have that normal risk assessment that would mention manual handling as a potential hazard, maybe not highlight it as a significant finding. You would just say, you know, manual handling is a hazard. We've done this. Everyone's trained, blah, blah, blah. However, at this point in the task where you would have manual handling of, I don't know, drive shaft of machine, 
He'd be like, this is really heavy. What's your control measure? We've done a Mac tool assessment of that task um, and implemented further control measures of that specific task or something like that. Um, so it's kind of that path, that tiered approach, that kind of yeah. target tiered approach. Like you said, if you did a Mac tool approach on everything, you would just have reams and reams of, of paperwork. I'd fill up my server with it. Yeah. <laughs> because, like you say, there's, there's a lot more there's a lot more manual handling tasks that happen within the business than you could probably think about. Mm. Um, so yeah, like you say, having that much paperwork, but I, it's not something that, it's not a way that I operate. I've, um, I just get lost in it and drown in it. Mm. Um, For sure. It's quite a good tool though, I found. Like in, uh, the, the few times I have, I have used it or deemed it suitable to be used, um, I find it quite easy to work with in line with yeah. all the HSE guidance, which we will put a link to in the description. But I, I always found them quite easy to read. I think all of the HSE guidance is, is like that, if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. there is a lot of good sort of information from the HSE. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I say, I, I think if you're sort of getting stuck um, with a risk assessment or a task and you can't sort of think what to do, doing that sort of Mac tool would be useful for that because it sort of breaks it down and sort of has thought of every possible eventuality. Um, if you're sort of doing something you think, mm, I don't think this is quite enough what I've thought of, using the Mac tool would probably, like say, take you and sort of maybe potentially think about things you might have missed. So, um, so yeah, I think it'd be, it's good for that sort of thing as well. Yeah, yeah, but you're right as well when you said earlier, only, it only applies to essentially lifting and carrying and team handling. So picking something up and moving it, that's all the Mac tool applies to. Um, obviously, there are other tools for pushing and pulling. There's a wrap tool. Have you ever used that? I haven't, no. Uh, um, now, I think the one that I've always used, this is something that an old sort of um, boss of mine, said for doing assessments that is um this is what four factors you need to look at for a manual handling assessment which is the task the individual who's lifting it up the load and the environment so where are they lifting it yeah tile yeah yeah, yeah tile classic um and then you can um uh, there was the other one like other, what other factors are there as well so what's going to um impact sort of ppe or their clothes and what do they need to be sort of wearing when they're doing it but generally, that's what I'll stick to with, with the with my risk assessments. Yeah, that will cover yeah cover every eventuality. Um, mm. I've not come across sort of any situation um, in my career as yet where that's that sort of tile risk assessment sort of strategy hasn't worked for me. Um, mm. And the industries that I've, maybe it's because sort of the industries I've not been in haven't been sort of specifically um, too troublesome. Um, although when I was working as a consultancy, quite a lot. So, um, but yeah, looking at it that way, task, individual, load, environment keeps it simple. Um, you can watch the task and look for those things individually. It doesn't take too long to sort of see, depending on the sort of length of the task, and sort of pick up on those four factors, um, and then introduce control measures, which again are generally um, quite similar. So. Um, like say training, manual handling aids, team lifts, making sure people are trained up in the team lifts, giving people the information to do the lifts and what they're lifting. And manual handling is quite easy to um, control as long as you're giving people the right information, I think. 
Yeah, I always found to um, use the, the the rap tool and the map tools were quite good for kind of continual improvement assessment. You know, so separately from a risk assessment, so just pick a couple of random higher risk tasks. So, so if you got like the rap tool, for example, I found it was quite good to use that continual improvement if you've got a lot of like um, pallet trucks and stuff like that. Um, where you're doing a lot of pushing and pulling or, or like cages or trolleys and things like that. Yeah. Quite good. But again, it depends on what the weight or the significance or the amount of time that people are actually using that stuff. If it's really low weight stuff um, or a short amount of time, it's probably not worth it. Um, but yeah, they are all good stuff. And then we've also got the art tool for um, the repetitive tasks as well. Um, but that, that for me is, I think I've used that once. Um, I don't know about yourself. I've looked into it um, for sort of ergonomic pieces, but I've not used it yet. But it's the sort yeah. of thing that's on my um, sort of desktop, hidden away in a folder somewhere, ready for when I need it. Mm, I've never had a, I've never really had um, a task that constituted a re- repetitive task, if I'm honest. Um, it, it, I think a lot of people have a misinterpretation of a repetitive task. You know, they'll say like, oh, repetitive task. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll man the same machine every day. So that's, that's not a repetitive task. A repetitive task is standing there, putting one bolt in one piece of, you know, whatever circuitry, same place, doing the same movement over and over again. So you're just going, duh, 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 over and yeah. over. Um, yeah, and that's, that's sort of links back to what your ergonomic sort of issue, other issues you've looked at on site. I'd sort of that's something that's on the um, sort of horizon for me to be doing this year as well. Sort of a bit more of the ergonomics, which the manual handling fits into. Well, should all fit into sort of quite nicely, shouldn't it? Mm. In there, in a perfect world, but that's not what the life of a safety practitioner is like, unfortunately. No. <laughs> That's for sure. I suppose it's kind of like we're touching on there, like the misinterpretation of repetitive tasks. It applies quite heavily with with manual handling and quite a lot of stuff as well. I always found like you say to people, you know, do do you have a lot of um, do you have a lot of breaks? I see that quite a lot of DSC kind of assessment. Do you have a lot of breaks? No, I have one break a day. All right. What? So you never get up, make yourself a cup of tea. <laughs> Not we all day. Never go oh, yeah, to the yeah. coffee. Yeah go for a wee, go to the photocopier, or their breaks from display screen equipment, or their breaks from manual handling, or something like that. Ah, right, okay. Well, I suppose that brings us quite nicely, um, and a segue on to manual handling training. <laughs> yes. For me, in my brutally honest opinion, is one of the most dated trainings that we have. Yeah, it's. Um, I don't think it's changed since I did my first bit of training probably 15 years ago to what's sort of what's trained out now. Um, yeah. And it's like, how, what, how do we innovate this? How do we change this? I've been as guilty as um, the next man of doing sort of probably the stereotypical manual handling training. Um, a lot shorter and a lot more concise and clearer but it's probably the information's not much different i've just not sort of dragged it out over four hours um i, I just don't even know where to where we can start with this 
I think I think that you're right. The information is the same, and I think you know, half hour in a classroom talking about the information, the basics, you know, tile, um, understanding the spine, the impacts of it. Maybe even sit and watch that child's play video, which I do think is quite good. And then I think, and then I think we need to we need to nip in the bud. This this fucking lift a photocopy of paper box off the table and put it on the ground. <laughs> that that needs to fuck right off. Right? <laughs> Unless that's your job, lifting paper boxes, <laughs> yeah. then then that that is fine. But if it's not, if it's like you know for yourself, you know, work lifting bags of ingredient or bags of ingredients, um, you know, go out into the workplace and do it there, yeah. and just yeah. do your job and let's stand, we'll observe, we'll discuss as you do it, and let's see how it works. Because actually, in a classroom environment, lifting a box of paper. With everyone looking at you, feeling like a dick, you know, trying to lift correctly. That's probably the only time in their life they ever lift correctly because there's no no pressure in that room. There's no time. So I think go out and do the job and we'll all observe you where pressure is applicable, where quality is applicable. You know, for you, for example, a bit too much of one ingredient might just ruin the whole product. So you've got kind of a high pressure environment. Um, speed, all that stuff applies. Get out of the bloody classroom. Like, what is it about trainers that like to stay in this room? I, well, I'll tell you what it is. They like to sound their own voice. I'm the same. I love being yeah. a trainer. Yeah. I love the podcast. I love the same time. <laughs> but get out of the bloody classroom. Yeah, I think that's that very good. Uh, very good idea. And like you say, get the people in there and lift the photocopy box because people in the offices that'll be the heaviest thing that they'll probably have to lift or the water bottle to go on to the top of the water fountain potentially so it's relevant for them um but yeah like you say if you've got sort of what have we got five or so different types of departments taking them out and making them do the manual handling that they're doing is, is yeah like you say the best way for them to learn it's sort of relevant um they can sort of think oh yeah i need to change this when i do it when I do this task or when I do it this way or whatever. So, um, yeah, it should bring the subject to life a bit more. Yeah, and I think it gives them ownership as well. You know, they're, they're kind of self-training. Like, you take them out and you'd be like, you know, right, let, based on what we've just talked about in the classroom and we just looked at kind of, like, pro- correct lifting techniques, let, let's try and do apply that to some of this. And, and they kind of teach themselves. You know, we, you would ask, ask a couple of them to do it. So, you know, what would you go for a team lift there? No, why not? I have a conversation. For me, I find yeah, conversations yeah. is the best way to have, have you know, learn all this stuff. Um, you know, I, I, I was forced to be innovative. Like the first manual handling training I ever did um, was in a factory where we made bubble wrap. We made rolls of bubble wrap. So we were, I was trying to teach people how to correctly lift bags of air. You could... <laughs> You can imagine the banter, the, the, oh, the, the banter in quotation. Yeah, bans. Oh, the banter is why I got into health and safety. <laughs> the banter, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so oh. you kind of you've got to be innovative, I think. And you've just—it's just about you know it, what some of the roles that we used to use were so light you could literally just stand there, pick it with one hand, and fling it. Like, <laughs> and, and so it's like, well, how do we look at how to do that better? And it just—it was just a slight thing. It was just kind of, 
bend your knees ever so slightly. It wasn't bend all the way yeah. and pick it up and then, and then move and then throw it and walk like a toy soldier. Because that's what drives me insane. When you watch all these videos, I remember watching a video um, of a manual handling video and it had the woman um, out of Gladiator. Um, not Gladiator the film, Gladiators the show. What, Elvika Johnson or one of the actual Gladiators? One of the actual Gladiators. Amazing. I've not seen that. And, and I was like, this is so cool. But also, <laughs> the Gladiators have not been on the telly for about 20 years. Yeah. So let's make some new videos. But long story short, you had this woman who was a Gladiator, like a professional wrestler and, and like whatever they do, like running and fighting on all this crap. And they're, and they're like, yeah, I always lift properly. And she lifts this box like a frigging wooden soldier. And you're like, piss <laughs> off. That, that's what you've, you've got to change. You know, we as safety professionals have got to change the way we do stuff. And, and there is not one way to lift everything, I don't think. Yeah. It's just about slightly engaging your knees and your legs and all other parts of your body and not just bending at the hips get that whole body involved it's like when you um, go to the gym which i do occasionally sort of once or a month um when you're doing your lifts you sort of research what the move is and how to do it safely because you see people doing stupid things on the internet in gyms and there's instagram accounts um sort of dedicated to showing people messing up in the gym and what happens when people try to lift too much or lift wrong, or um, yeah, approach something completely how they shouldn't. And I think that's the same in the workplace. If you sort of take those sort of uh, values out of the gym and into the workplace, it's um, it's a good place to sort of start. I remember doing manual handling training once. Um, one Saturday morning, I had to drive to out to Coventry to do it for I can't remember what the company is now. I think there were Windows or something. Um, and I think three of the lads on this training course were bodybuilders. So I was teaching bodybuilders how to lift sort of double, double glazing units that didn't even have any glass in them. Um, and we spent probably half an hour of the training talking about them deadlifting and what they could deadlift. <laughs> and I think, I think if they wanted to, they could have picked me up like with one hand and just held me over their head. Mm. These guys were like the ultimate warrior. Mm. But, you know what you do in that environment though is you use them like they're obviously professional lifters yeah let them have a training session without That's them what we knowing do. it yeah just ask them a shitload of questions yeah that was How exactly essentially a deadlift a lot of people look at the deadlift and go you know who are manual handling trainers and be like oh my god you're using your back so much there like how but it, it's just like it's about building up the strength of your back as well That's like, it. That's it. It's the chain, isn't it? It's not just sort of, I'm not just lifting with my back. It's just sort of doing everything at the same time that does the, that makes the deadlift yeah. such a sort of strong leg. They use not, legs just as much, yeah. Yeah, that's it. And um, it's that whole thing, like you've got massive muscles across your back. Um, so why wouldn't you use them? But it's not about just, don't just use them solely. Don't like bend off to the side to do the lift. Just everything, do it in a sort of natural position, a natural way. Um, it's those unnatural positions that when when you start sort of having issues and sort of having these MSD start to happen to you. If you're sort of bending yeah. off to the sides or sort of leaning back in your chair or sort of just sat in your chair trying to pick something up off the floor instead of, it takes 
10 seconds longer just to knock your chair back, get crouched down properly and pick it up. Like mm. you were saying, the culture um, with people not doing the manual handling properly is it's the time constraints that they're sometimes under. They're rushing around trying to get a job done and they think that oh, I've got, if I use the right technique, it's going to sort of affect my pick figures or what I've been asked to do. And sort of, it takes seconds longer, which over the course of a day, if you're doing the sort of same task hundreds of times, does add up, but not to a point where it should really affect your sort of picking figures. Um, and one of my old jobs, we actually did some like research in that. We did the timings because um, we worked for a manual handling company um, quite often. Um, and they we sort of did the timings, sort of, sort of people doing it, following the sort of letter to the law that we were sort of tra- training out to them uh, and then sort of cutting those corners as well. And it was like, it wasn't worth the sort of the the time that was being saved, basically, because you're eventually yeah. going to have an accident and you're going to have to start filling out paperwork and doing investigations yeah. and that sort of thing as well. So and having people time off. So the costs um, aren't just the time, it's everything else that goes into into it, like with all accidents, isn't it? Mm. I um I was talking to my my boss the other day and I and I I said I I got an idea. I think every single timeline that we set in our business, I think we should add five percent to that for risk. So when I, I say risk and not just safety, because you could you could apply it to financial stuff as well. So you know, and if you added five percent to every timeline, you decrease the pressure ever so slightly. And then people are less encouraged to cut corners or they're encouraged to pay a bit more attention if it's like from a finance point of view. You know, if we were to add 5% to every timeline, would we create, maybe I've grabbed 5% out of the air. We may need a bit more than 5%. We may need less than 5%. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, just we set a timeline, we have that conversation and then we go, now add 5%. What for? Just to be safe. Uh, I was going to say, one of my old directors used to do that for any sort of project or plan that they were doing. He would have money, sort of, you just call it X. And you say, what's that for? He'd be like, we'll find out eventually. So it's that similar yeah. sort of thing. You build that sort of risk lever in that level of protection. Because yeah. projects do always sort of overspend. Um, mm-hmm. Tasks always do take a little bit longer. Um, you do always lose a little bit more of the product than you think. Um those sort of things, like say that risk level, um, I don't think people do sort of build that time in or the resource in um, for projects. And yeah, I think it is a, like I say, that's when people start putting that sort of pressure on themselves to, to make things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you just give yourself a little bit more time or like say resource or anything. Mm. I think it's on say. business. I think it's on the business to do, to do that. I find like, so kind of in my, my experience when we, Let's say we build up a backlog of, of actions from risk assessments or fire assessments or Legionella risk assessments, and we've got a bag of backlog of stuff that needs to be done. And then when it finally gets through to like the board that they need to do this stuff, and then they say, right, we want it done by the end of the month. It's like the end of the month is tomorrow. And, and you're just like, yeah, I want it done. I want it done. It's like, hang on a minute. It's not the business's fault that this hasn't been done, you're ultimately accountable. You're the business owner. You take ownership for this. You have done this wrong. Well, I don't, I don't do those actions. No, but your team does, your business does. It's not their fault, it's your fault. But they don't, they don't want to listen to that. 
so they set these crazy targets and then what that does it forces people to do it and cut corners and i think if that's an over that's an over exaggerated example but what if we were to add that kind of five ten percent to everything that we did and then gives us that buffer you know that kind of just to be safe percentage and not safe from a point of view of safety but just to be safe as, as a point of view for everything it's the fan and we don't get the the loan that we wanted or you know shit hits a fan and the the head of risk has left the building or whatever you know fine okay so we've got that 10 percent. don't worry about it yeah and just kind of give ourselves and i think that just creates a calmer workplace to, to work in in my opinion Definitely, but I think with um, I think it all depends on the type of business you're in. Smaller businesses um, will be under the pressures where they're sort of they don't have the unfortunately don't have the sort of resources to allow their sort of margins are razor thin. Um, yeah. the, probably the mid-sized companies would probably be where that'd work best in the where they're sort of they are a bit smarter with what their um, their time frames and everything like that. And then the bigger businesses unlike the smaller businesses just want the most profit out of everything so if you look at companies like apple and amazon um they take a five percent to them is sort of probably billions of dollars isn't it maybe so, uh, yeah. mm. and they're they're sort of shareholders and everything like that that they're sort of responsible uh, to wouldn't like that sort of um that loss but but yeah it does it helps the people up there actually doing it um massively having that little bit of a buffer that they know that up oh, this machine's down for, for two hours when we're trying to get this product out the door by sort of end the shift um having that sort of unknown factor sort of accounted for as much as possible does help a lot um, mm. and like say reduces pressure on staff um and sometimes when people are rushing around doing sort of wanting to get their sort of um, job done quickly so they're sort of cutting corners it's not always from a malicious point of view is it sometimes they're like oh, i want to sort of get this done because i know that we need to get out the door for sort of six o'clock if i don't get my bit done then the next bit can't be done etc so it's, it's molded by the environment stevie it's to say yeah. the thing the pressure is the environment like, yeah nobody goes to work in my opinion to do a shit job People might have bad days, people might get a bit lazy one day, but nobody is, I say nobody, but most people are not that much of a dickhead that they go to work just to do a shit job, you know, or, or to, to hurt somebody or to hurt the business. Nobody wants yeah. to do that. We create as businesses the environment and the pressures and the lack of competence, the lack of education that creates that person making a mistake or thinking it's okay to cut the corner you know i remember an accident that i dealt with once where a machine operator was one of the best the quickest um most high performing machine operators we had and she crawled under a machine one day and tried to clean the machine whilst it was still running and was cleaning an inward roller and it, just right. took, her, it took her nails off uh, luckily just her nails so and every time I tell the story, it makes my nails feel good. Yeah, it's made my whole. Oh. I mean, we did like quite an in-depth five wise investigation, really focusing on trying to get down to the root cause of this, and we found that the root cause was pressure. That this woman was on a performance-based um, 
not performance-based pay. She was paid a salary, but she was given performance-based bonus, basically, right. um, on a regular basis. And long story short, a couple of weeks before, she was told off for not cleaning her machine. And she right. was told that you need to also keep up with the cleaning of your machine or else we're going to have to start having um, a serious conversation. We're also thinking about the maintenance and the cleaning machine that being related to the performance-based pay. So she essentially shit herself, started cleaning the machine, but didn't want to lose the performance-based pay. So clean the machine whilst the machine was running. And we created that. We as a business yeah. created that. She didn't create that. We we created that pressure for her to keep the machine clean and running at the same time. So therefore, the cause, the root cause of that was us, yeah. the business. I think if we were kind of, you know, kind of, in my opinion, and, and you feel free to give your own, but it, I think in my opinion, the biggest things here for businesses to focus on would be the environment and, and you know, what environment are we looking at, the physical aspects of environment and the kind of non-physical and mental aspects, you know, culture, um, you know, are you the only person lifting correctly, the pressures, but also, you know, the physical slips and stuff, lighting, the actual weight of the stuff and all the technical side of things. Focus on that. The education. If your trainer is training somebody in a room and you don't lift what they're getting you to lift and you, and it doesn't leave that room, you need to sack them straight away. I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, you need to sack them. And then and then finally, I would say it is probably just engagement with those people. Environment, education, engagement, get them involved yeah, yeah. in the stuff. I think they're the three things for me that would drastically change my new handling. Yeah, definitely. That um, I think the engagement is what changes a safety culture. Again, it's impossible. I think it's really hard to sort of quantify a safety culture. But just having that sort of feeling that people are sort of thinking about it, different people are coming up to you. Uh, to discuss issues that they're or they're having or things they've noticed or you see a different name on the sort of hazard reporting form. Um, I think that all sort of builds into that culture and that engagement is definitely the most, I think, the most important thing. Because yeah. like we spoke about in the last one, we don't want to, we're sort of hip young gunslingers ourselves. We're out there trying to keep people I safe in the workplace. So. <laughs> um, and... I think we're sort of quite personal and I think people would come to us with problems. People come to me uh, all the time when I'm sort of walking around the factory or sort of in the canteen, someone will grab me or in the corridor. People haven't got a sort of problem coming up to me because I think um, I'm not a sort of stuffy guy. I'm not the stereotypical sort of safety guy. And I think that um, stereotype is slowly on the way out. Um, mm. I was I was at the um, health and safety event a couple of weeks ago and there was some sort of um, I was speaking to a few different, uh, or seen some speaks, uh, I've seen some talks um, from a few different um, sort of providers, and there's a lot of sort of women there, younger men, um, and yeah, I think the industry is growing and changing, and I think, um, except for as safety practitioners, we need to sort of be at the forefront of that and sort of push the positive way of managing safety. Um, mm, which is engagement rather than just barking legislation at people that, like I said, people don't understand it because yeah. it's written very poorly for people mm. who don't 
need to understand it well, as soon as they've written it and sort of handed it off they don't need to sort of touch that legislation again whereas we sort of got to make it work for people and make sure the shop floor know as much as the um sort of the, the managers and things like that because they're sort of tied into this legislation as well so it's not just me that needs to comply with it it's everyone so um try to mm. get that across to people in a sort of engaging way is um is difficult but that's the the challenge that we have for safety mm. people now isn't it you hit a good note there when you said about kind of you know the positive side of it i just find we you to kind of probably maybe tie this up we've been waffling on for about an hour now but um <laughs> Positive reinforcement, you know, I always, I've always said, like, quite a long time, quite a controversial comment that, you know, we, we should start treating our workers like I treat my dog. And everyone looks at me and goes, oh my God, did you just say that? And I said, well, yeah, I did just say that, because actually I treat my dog a hell of a lot better than what I treat most people. Yeah. My dog never, rarely, rarely gets told off or punished, but he would always get positive reinforcement. Yeah. Every single thing that he does right, even if it's expected of him and he does it all the time, he gets positive reinforcement. I think that the health and safety world could learn from that. I said, you know, we are too busy pointing out the wrong. It's time to start pointing out the right. Yeah, definitely. Uh, start, even if you're just walking around the, the factory like like some crazy guy who absolutely loves health and safety and every time you see somebody lifting something correctly you just run over and give them a high five yes mate good job <laughs> love that have a great day move off next person does it wrong don't say anything or go over and educate them yeah don't don't tell them off and then the next person does it right yes mate boom high five nice one and that kind of positive reinforcement for me is something that we can massively learn from. Yeah, definitely. I think, like I say, it's um, the amount of times we're looking at stats of stuff that's gone wrong. You never sort of see stats of anything that's gone right because it's hard to quantify. But yeah, if you can see someone lifting well or using the right bit of kit or going over to a bit of kit, inspecting it properly before they use it, things like that do need to be sort of highlighted um, and yeah, sort of celebrated as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that I'll do. We've waffled on on Easter Sunday morning about man behind the thing. Those are some of things that we would like to talk about. <laughs> Go, mate. Thank you for coming back on the podcast. I think we'll have you again if, oh, if thanks, you're, you will come along. Anytime, mate. Anytime. I hope you enjoyed that podcast guys that was Stephen and me coming at you talking all about manual handling I hope you found some value in that 